Hello and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Because everything is a little weird this season, we have the convergence of two events in college football this week that would normally be weeks apart. The college football playoff rankings make their debut. And Thanksgiving week also brings a host of rivalry games and a big slate of games scheduled for Black Friday. So it's a big week. To talk about it all, my friend Nicole Auerbach from The Athletic joins me. We'll talk a lot about the playoff and various scenarios, but that comes with an important programming note. Because it's Thanksgiving week, like a lot of folks, we're trying to cram five days worth of work into the first two or three days of the week. We're recording this before the playoff rankings are released. There are a couple of little things that are uncertain about where teams will land, but ultimately we have a pretty good idea about how things will shake out. Nicole and I will dig into what to expect from the rankings, what are the main questions that need to be answered, and what those answers will mean going forward. Plus, we'll get into the Clemson-Florida State postponement and the controversy that came with it. Thanks for listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. You can find us on Westwood One Podcast, Apple Podcast, just about anywhere you like to get your podcast. If you like what you hear, give us a good review and a good rating. It helps college football fans find us, and it helps us find more college football fans. And away we go. Joining me this week on the podcast is my good friend, Nicole Auerbach from The Athletic. It's been a little while since we've had Nicole on the show. She is a uh, recurring guest, but you know, we like to mix it up around here, have a lot of different voices, but I believe this is the first time we've talked since at a point when we weren't sure if there was going to be a season, Nicole. Well, we've had a season. It's been a little ragged, but when we do get to Saturdays, the games are usually pretty good. <laughs> yeah, no, we, I, I mean, I think, I forget who's been saying this, but if you had told folks back in June that we would have gotten this many games in, I think people would have absolutely taken it and honestly been a little surprised. And I think we understandably do focus on the postponements and cancellations and adjustments to the calendar, but a lot of games have gotten in and we are barreling towards a college football playoff. And honestly, past December 19th, like I know, you know, there's New Year's six games. They're going to play, try to play some bowl games. But at that point, you only really got to worry about four teams. Like we're getting close to the finish line. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. And to a certain degree, you know, one of the things I've tried to get across to people is that in some ways, we all of this is window dressing to get to four teams, right? I mean, there is, you know, you hate to sort of minimize, uh, uh, minimize the games being played because, listen, it's, it is important to the players. And there's a whole bunch of games being played between teams that aren't don't have any national championship or even conference championship hopes that are still important to the players and the players have gone through a lot this year. The coaches have gone through a lot this year. So it's sort of, it's cool to get them to see them get to compete. But a lot of it is again, just sort of like window dressing to get to Alabama, Ohio state, you know, Clemson, Notre Dame, maybe, you know, one or two other teams. And I bring that up because the, well, you know what, before we get into the playoff talk, because we did talk about, you know, sort of the raggedness of the season and postponements. Let's look back before we look ahead. Uh, I want to I get this cleared. Clemson and Florida State were postponed the latest we've seen a game postponed. Hours before kickoff, uh, the, the Clemson and Florida State could not agree on whether it was safe to play. Clemson said, yes, we should play, even though we have this player who, you know, traveled with the team who ended up testing positive. Florida State didn't like that information and said, no, they shouldn't play. And it's become a thing. It's become a controversy. And Dabo eh, didn't exactly take the high road. Um, I'm wondering what your sort of takeaway from this whole, this whole mess, Nicole, Yeah, I mean, I I don't have, I I guess I could have had hotter takes, but at this (laughs) point, I mean, 
it's so frustrating when people try to blame people um, or or even protocols in, in some way, unless people are like blatantly trying to do things on purpose, skirt rules, whatever, because to me, this is a pandemic. It's the worst it's been this whole time right now. Um, it's cold. People are indoors more. And we still don't know everything. Like, we're still learning about the virus on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis. So everyone's trying to do the best that they can. So it bothers me when you have um, programs or fan bases accusing people of trying to duck opponents or um, whatever this was in this case, because it, it's 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 almost nonsensical to me, to be honest, because the, the positive case was in Clemson's program. And so, like, there is potential spread in Clemson's program, yet they're mad at Florida State for saying, hey, you know, we're not sure about this. Like, we don't really we don't want to put our players at risk, but Clemson should be concerned about their own players as well. Right. So, like. And also how you get to a situation where you're allowing someone who's potentially or is symptomatic to practice, right? Or be around people or travel with the team. So, like, we're all still learning about these things. So I just don't like the idea of blaming people for a contagious virus that is spreading, that people don't know for sure, you know, how it's going to impact each individual person who is infected and not wanting to put their own people at risk. I mean, I thought Mike Norvell on Monday said it well, where he said, like, we're supposed to be taking care of these players. Like, we tell their parents that we are responsible for their health and safety. So, again, it it doesn't make sense why you would try to blame someone or, you know, accuse someone of trying to get out of a game. I understand it was super last minute. I understand that maybe a similar situation occurred and the other team, like, signed off on it. But there's a reason all these protocols are in place and that, I mean, it's going to get a little bit like jargony here, but like these, they, they have medical people on each campus that have to sign attestations to ensure that both sides are comfortable playing games like for a reason. This this stuff is is implemented for a reason. So for me, I, I think we should all be honestly grateful when games get in. And this is what this was my problem with what Dan Mullen earlier in the season when he was complaining about the lack of a home field advantage. It's like this was no guarantee that these games were going to get played in the first place. And so we've, we've jumped ship from that to appreciating the opportunity to play to now, you know, accusing play teams or, or administrations of ducking opponents or whatever it might be during the worst phase of the pandemic. So um, I, that's where I stand on it. I, I can't get too worked up about blaming people during this. Yeah, I think you pretty much nailed where I was on it. You know, the, the couple of things I wrote were, A, you know, folks, this is what you signed up for. It, it kind of speaks back to your Mullen point. Like, we we were told from jump that this was going to be really messy and a lot of disruptions and very hard. And it has been every bit that. So the idea to, listen, it is totally fair if I'm, and I can totally get, Clemson side of it and Dabo Sweeney's side of it of being being pissed, right? Of being literally pissed off that you went all the way to Tallahassee and didn't play a football game. But to to publicly put the other school on blast because mm-hmm. of that seems a bit immature. Um, you know, the other part I would say is, uh, you know, you're going to – all of these things, as we've talked about before, Nicole, are – there is some subjectiveness. There are some judgment calls, right, that are going to be made here. So the idea that one set of medical medical folks say, no, this is good, we should play, and another set says, you know, not totally comfortable with that, is not unprecedented. That's sort of what goes on all the time in, mm-hmm. in, in these situations, because you can set every protocol in the world, but there's never going to be a protocol that covers every situation in a black and white way, ultimately, you're still going to be asking a doctor or an epidemiologist to say, what do you think? And in this case, the two people thought two different things, and we ended up with this situation. Again, I'm with you. I just don't like the blame game, and I don't like publicly putting people on blast like you can do it privately you can be pissed off privately but i think to basically accuse your conference mate of bad faith it just seems i don't know what the point of that is frankly right and and like again 
And I know we've both talked to um, Dr. Jim Borchers, who is the chair, co-chair of the Big Ten Medical Group. And honestly, like after speaking with him, uh, I understand why everyone in that league raves about him because he explains COVID better than anyone I've talked to. And you and I both talked to epidemiologists and immunologists through this, too. But one thing he has said to me, and, and I don't think that people have focused on this enough, is if he said, if I if I erred on the side of caution, I'm okay with that. And, and mm-hmm. that's, I think, in this situation, that's the entire argument from Florida State's side. Like, if that's what it came down to, then they're fine with that. And that's absolutely fine in a pandemic. Like, that's totally fine. So I'm totally with you. I don't see what it accomplishes. Um, it's, it, you know, we haven't seen a head coach do that, especially, like you said, someone in your own conference, um, you know, and, and, like it's just going to have awkward meetings, coaches meetings, administrator meetings. Like you just, you just don't do that in these types of situations. And especially like Clemson's fine. They're going to have enough games to get consideration for the college football playoff. Like it is fine. Like it is just such a strange hill to die on and and make a, or I guess make a mountain out of a molehill, whichever, you know, cliche I want to use here. But it, it was so strange that that became such a big thing. And, and again, it's going to linger now because you did this to a conference mate. Okay. So we just to, to state again, I state, stated this in the opening, but I want to make sure people understand we are recording this on Monday afternoon. Like a lot of folks, we have Thanksgiving this week, which means you're trying to cram a lot of work into two or three days. So we are going to talk about the playoff rankings before the playoff rankings come out. Now, you know, we all know that Alabama is going to be number one. (laughs) We all know that Notre Dame is probably going to be two, maybe three, probably two. Um, There's some uncertainty about Ohio State, maybe because they only have so many games. But we have a pretty good idea of what a lot of the rankings are going to look like. So I'm not necessarily, you know, so we're going to talk sort of about what the rankings might look like. But then we're also going to like sort of spin ahead because, again, we all have a somewhat of a sense here of what the rankings might look like. And we don't necessarily need to see them to spin ahead to scenarios and how this thing could play out. The, what is, you know, when you're sort of jotting down, what's the thing I want to see tomorrow night? Like, okay, so again, this is Monday. We're talking on Monday. They will be out Tuesday. If you're talking like pre-rankings, Nicole, what are the the you know, two or three things that you say, I'm interested in this, this could be significant, and I'm not exactly sure. I know Alabama is going to be number one, but I'm not exactly sure about this. So this is what I'm interested in. Well, funny you ask that because I am brushing off and doing pre-college football rankings questions again. So I actually have four ready to go. Um but I, I think the two that are most interesting to me are where are Cincinnati and BYU slotted? Because we never quite know until that first rankings exactly how much is going to match up with like the AP poll and the coaches poll and like how the rest of the college football landscape that starts this, you know, in the preseason, how that stuff lines up. And and it's definitely clear as as good of teams that there are in the group of five this year that there are some benefits to to having played earlier and starting earlier people seeing them more this year maybe not having certain records um or or you know potential blowout losses by certain teams in certain leagues against power five opponents um so i I would like to see where those two teams stack up um and how the committee sees them because i think that will inform the way that the narrative shifts and and is around Cincinnati and or BYU, obviously, you know, whether or not Cincinnati has a legit shot at the playoff. And then with BYU, they're not a they can't have that group of five champions slot in the near six. So so where are they? Are they in that top 12 um, or are they going to kind of need to be aggressive scheduling and try to get a Pac-12 game? Um, so that's my main question. And then my second main question is. How is the committee going to look at these teams that have played vastly different amounts of games, right? Because we 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 feel pretty confident that Ohio State is going to be in that top four. But what if the committee decides that they just haven't seen enough yet? Like maybe they think they could get there. Or like, right, like we don't know. And and we know that that's going to be a factor. We know they've acknowledged it. They're going to evaluate the resumes as of, you know, the day they do the rankings. 
But I am curious. And then, you know, obviously corollary of that is the Pac-12, which are going to have the least amount of games. So I, I am curious because we've never really seen that drastic a difference. We've, we've only really seen teams that played 12 games versus 13 at the end of the season. This is very different. Okay, let's get into BYU-UC for a second, because that was the other uh, sort of controversy with two schools via, you know, leaking information to reporters, you know, sort of sniping at each other. Not quite as bad as as Clemson and Florida State, because it wasn't quite as serious. But um, to take UC aside, um, let's talk about BYU. BYU was offered a chance to play Washington. Um, I know that for a fact that that's been reported elsewhere. They were there were talks. There was there was some discussions about, hey, you know, Washington understood that they were going to have an open date because it, the, the Apple Cup was not going to be able to come off and reached out to BYU and said, hey, what you got going on? We see you're free this weekend. And uh, again, as of Monday, it, that doesn't look like that's going to happen. Uh, and again, you know, a little bit of like, hey, you said anywhere, anytime, anybody, BYU, why aren't you taking this game? But, you know, for the, frankly, there are some parameters that BYU has to hit to play this game um, as far as testing, as far as going on the road, as far as being open minded to the fact that two, two or three days into the week, Pac- Washington might get a Pac 12 team to play. So then the game is off. So for whatever reason, game doesn't, doesn't go on. Do you think, and we'll, well, let, let me put it this way. Do you think it was wise of BYU before the rankings come out to say, you know what, we'd like to see where we are before we start diving on games against unranked Pac-12 teams? I absolutely think that's reasonable. I, I think that we have gotten to a place in the season now where, again, it's like this baseline of, appreciating when games are getting played has now shifted to like this God-given right to have games. And (laughs) so now when games are postponed, we see, and again, now we we saw that it is physically possible to schedule a game on a Friday and play it on Sunday. We've seen that it wasn't the best game because these poor GAs and the game prep, obviously, but it is physically possible to do that. However, it is not always wise to do that. But every single time we see a postponement, and and this happened the week that SEC had four postponements, it's happened in other leagues when there's been multiple ones, people immediately, again on Twitter, um, so not in real life, not the athletic directors, although I'm sure they're having exploratory calls, they immediately go, well, those two teams are free, let's play. You know, it's been three (laughs) three days out, like they should play. And that's not always a great idea. And, and I think, you know, (laughs) or realistic. And again, in terms of preparation, in terms of like physical readiness, especially when, you know, some of these programs, you have people coming in or, or heading into outbreaks or coming out of outbreaks into outbreaks, right? Like you have certain issues going on. Um, and again, like the actual preparation for these games, which make it safe to play. Like the reason that these leagues implemented a 53 man minimum, um, is is for a physical safety standpoint, right? Like it's so that you're not putting, you know, a 17-year-old scrawny kid who hasn't been in the gym on the offensive line. So like all of these other pieces have to come into consideration. So I don't blame BYU, who, by the way, also has an open date on December 5th for Mm -hmm. seeing how they come in the first rankings, what work they might need to do. And then, you know what? There's probably going to be at least one Pac-12 team looking for a game on December 5th. Well, and there's also a team, an interesting team with a team with an open date on December 5th, hmm. and that is Cincinnati, right? Also, also and, true. Yeah. And, and listen, you know, uh, I've heard from Cincinnati's side of things that from their standpoint, they want to see because because immediately when we saw Cincinnati and BYU have open dates, and again, those open dates only <laughs> only came to be within the last few days because the AAC needed to do some schedule shuffling. So, of course, once that pops up, I mean, I was one of the first ones who pointed it out on Twitter. Hey, look at that. Both of these teams have off on December 5th. What do you say, UC uh, and BYU? But again, knowing that it's not that easy. So Cincinnati, I think, also would like to see where it stands in the playoff rankings before it commits to anything. 
because, you know, conceivably, you know, Cincinnati is sitting at 12 Tuesday night. It's not making the playoff, right? Mm -hmm. So at that point, its main concern has to be only getting that group of five spot in a New Year's Six Bowl. To do that, it means winning its championship. There's not a lot of benefit to Cincinnati playing BYU on December 5th. The week before, it's about to start most likely a home-and-home against Tulsa that will decide its conference championship. Like if BYU, like it may sound great. Oh, it would be certainly be entertaining for Cincinnati and BYU to play. But again, if I'm Cincinnati and I'm sitting at 12, that game is not getting me to four. So why am I going to put my team on, on the line against a good you know, BYU team, risk Desmond Ritter getting hurt and yep. then blowing up my chances to get to a big game that I have a reasonable chance of making. So I think both sides in that situation, and that game could end up being made. I, I still think that that game could end well, up being made, depending on where things stand after Tuesday night. Yeah, and and I and again, like to me, this is reasonable. Both of these programs are having great seasons. Like there is a lot of value in finishing a season undefeated if you're these schools, even if you know again BYU. Tom Holmo, it was a miracle that he didn't have a schedule for this team to play. They lost every game on their schedule except two. They had a bunch of Power Five opponents on there. We don't know how that would have gone. But I just think that you have to be really smart if you're in those positions because, like you said, if it's not worth it to get, for Cincinnati, if it's not worth it to get close to the top four or for BYU to get into the near six realm, I don't see the point in playing that. Because you're already having a great season. Your fan bases are pumped. There's a lot of value in just having a great season. Yeah, listen, if BYU is number 10 on Tuesday night, then it's probably in pretty good position just to play its last game against San Diego State and, you know, hold on to that ranking. And that ranking probably is good enough in this year. And without getting – because I know the playoff stuff and and what bowl games are available can get, like, head spinning – just take it from me. This is a good year for at-large teams. There's a lot of space. There's a lot of available spaces for those teams this year. So the, the committee is going to have to find, you know, four like about four to six of those type of teams uh, as opposed to being locked into a bunch of Power Five conference champions this year. So, you know, again, if I'm Cincinnati and I'm sitting at – or BYU and I'm sitting at 10 – I really don't have a chance of getting the playoff no matter what I do with a Cincinnati game or anything else. Maybe it's best just to, you know, to hold it, right? Like, you know, you got Delta 17 or an 18. You're not hitting on that. You're just going to hold it and, and hope that that wins you the hand. And I think that's where BYU is right now, too. Now, again, I would love to watch BYU play some better teams and play Washington. Like, but this is like fantasy schedule maker like this is not the real this is not real life yes and and that that's what again like when when you have these postponements happening on like a Wednesday or Thursday and then people just saying these two teams should play like that's that isn't real life and I know that everyone's trying to get as many games as possible this year but you also like have to take into account a lot of consideration so again like I understand that the BYU-Washington thing was a, you know, there were a lot of hot takes, there were a lot of opinions, there was a lot of information being floated out there, but I couldn't get that worked up about it because I just think it makes all the sense in the world to wait until the first rankings. If if they had come out last week and BYU knew where it stood, I think you possibly have a different resolution to that. But like, again, it's like, it's a, it's a risk to lock yourself into something if you don't know for sure if you need it or if it would help or again if there's an injury risk or if there's you know just again the 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 things that you're striving for as a program just aren't available um i also think that it's just worth pointing out that like a quarterback saying that we'll go anywhere and play anyone or a social media account doing that isn't like those aren't the people making the decisions just wanted to point that out (laughs) right people seem to forget that Yeah, very important thing that the quarterback is not the AD and he can say anything he wants. Uh, and Zach Wilson can wear anything on his headband. That doesn't necessarily Which mean is, it's going to happen. And, it, and it's great. I mean, uh, listen, I love Zach Wilson. I, I want him to be a Heisman finalist. It's a great message. Um, but again, it's 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 not always taken literally by the decision makers. So 
how do you see this thing lining up behind sort of like there's a very obvious scenario here for the playoff the 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 super obvious it's like the simple solution right the simple solution is alabama wins out notre dame and clemson play again and and clemson wins in the acc championship game neither of those teams lose before that clemson wins and ohio state you know, I think Ohio State's still in a position where if it just wins out and blows everybody out, though it struggled a little bit against Indiana. So the simple solution, I believe, is Ohio State wins out, Alabama wins out, Clemson wins out, Notre Dame loses to Clemson in the ACC championship game. Some version of those four teams get into some, – some order of those four teams get into the playoff. But when you start looking at like – Okay, where are the landmines? What if that? What if the simple things don't work out? What are some of the non-simple things that have you wondering? Like, I wonder if this happens, or if this happens, what's Plan B? Um, okay, so the the interesting scenarios because because I'm with you, which is I I think part of the reason there's just so much energy around like BYU and Cincinnati is we're, we're kind of tired of talking about the same teams. Um, yeah. So even, even that fourth spot isn't as exciting as certain other years. Plus you already have like the big 12 and the PAC 12, not in the picture. Um, okay. So here, here are a couple of wrinkles. Um, let, let's go through the ACC championship game. What if it is a blowout? Mm-hmm. Does yeah, that Clemson blows out Notre Dame? Yes. Maybe, or what? If, yeah. Okay. Well, okay. First of all, if Clemson loses, they're not in the playoff because sure, they would have sure. gotten swept. Two losses by. is probably going to be the so, end and 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 that would actually be an interesting scenario because that guess at that point you're thinking Florida gets elevated to that fourth spot, probably. Unless is Florida that, gets beaten, unless up they by get blown Alabama. out. Right. Right. In the, in the so, championship game. So that's remember, prob- Florida already got a loss. Yes. Hmm. Okay, so that, that's an interesting. That's an interesting. A and M, right? It, it, isn't A and M maybe the break glass in case of emergency team? <laughs> yeah, and and I guess it's going to depend on again, and and they've lost games, so it's like again, it's like kind of how does the committee view the total number of games you get in? Um, what about Clemson blows out Notre Dame? Yeah. Does Notre Dame get in? See, I I still think. As long as it takes care of business, obviously, and and you know North, you know we'll get to this maybe later. North Carolina is going to be an interesting game for for Notre Dame this weekend. Um, I, I still think so because I still think the version of Clemson that Al, that Notre Dame beat was a really was was not the full version, was not the one hundred percent version of Clemson, but was a good enough version of Clemson that it will be hard to find another team that matches that win and that resume. But again, it becomes a little nuanced with, you know, that would certainly open the door for, you know, again, maybe an A&M or somebody like that on the outside. But but I just don't know if we're going to have a ton of of good options other than a one-loss Notre Dame that has beaten Clemson. I think that that's a good point that it would be a win that no one else really has. And I think that's probably also where the Texas A&M in case of emergency break glass is because they have that win over Florida. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I do think it would probably be taken into consideration. Those were home games. Um, I, I do wonder, though, we, we know how the committee has said about injuries in the past, which I assume is they, they referred to this in their protocols as similar to how they're going to view player availability, presumably related to COVID. If if Clemson team that has Trevor Lawrence as, as great as they played in South bend and, and obviously DJ put up some record breaking numbers, but if with, if with Trevor Lawrence at the end of the season, they blow out that same Notre Dame team, that's healthy, presumably healthy. That's the team that the playoff is looking at and saying, these are the four teams because they project, right? They want to know Mm -hmm. who's going to be available and healthy. And again, that's going to be impossible this year, but they want to have the best games possible. We've seen so many blowouts in the semifinals and and they're trying not to do that to, to us. They're trying to project the four best teams that could give us good games. So to me, if, if Clemson looks totally different, which again, I, I don't think they will, but 
if if they do a very different result to the same team with the roster that they would be taking into the playoff, I do think you have to consider that a little bit differently. But but I think you're right because I think once you take Notre Dame out of the equation here and Florida in this scenario, Florida loses the SEC championship game, you don't have a great fourth option. And again, this has been a problem that I just mentioned with these blowouts and these semifinal games. You know, Oklahoma has been in that fourth spot and and there's been blowouts. You've had teams from the Big Ten. Like, it just, it's tough when we're clearly in an era where there are three powerhouse programs that just recruit and and roll at a, at a different level and there's a drop-off. And so, like, I would love Notre Dame to keep it really tight against Clemson, lose a tight game so that they see, you know, we saw them beat Clemson. We saw them hang. Like, we think they're in that category because otherwise it feels like we've seen this before. Okay, I'm going to take a very quick break here. I want to get back to one of the things you said about the Pac-12 and bring them into this discussion. And we'll also talk a little bit about head-to-head and things along those lines and some other things that I might be kind of looking for uh, when the rankings come out and, and where this thing might be heading in the long run. You're listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. Back in a sec with Nicole Auerbach from The Athletic. Hey, it's Michael Rosenbaum. You may remember me as Lex Luthor from the hit TV show Smallville. Regardless, I have this really cool podcast called Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum, where I get celebrities who are a lot more famous than me to really open up. Let's get inside of Jim Jeffries. Oh, I never did anything with my life. I could have been a better son. Oh, God. I should apologize to this person. So join me on Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. New episodes drop every Tuesday. Listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. And we're back on the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. Nicole Arbach from The Athletic is my guest on this Thanksgiving week. And we'll definitely talk some Thanksgiving too. Uh, Nicole, before we're out of here, we have to talk about what you're going to eat and whether red is coming with you on your trip home and things along those lines because that's all very, very important. Um, But before we do that, I want to get into a little more of the playoff talk you were very quick to say we're not gonna we're not gonna really worry about the Pac-12, and, and I tend to agree with you. Um, as an aside, you know, well, let's just leave it at that. I tend to agree with you. No aside necessary. Um, but why do you think no, like, like Oregon seven and zero, USC seven and zero? No, we're not we're, we're not gonna go there. It, it, like no chance, do you think? Especially well, if things get a little weird and you're sort of looking for another team. Listen, I, I I will never say never, but mm-hmm. you're already starting from such a you're you're so far behind, right? Like it's sort of when you're imagining like a a race or like you know a sprint or something, and and someone ha- starts ahead of you, right? So you're already starting behind. There've been a lot of cancellations, so it's it's almost you know more challenging to to kind of evaluate the quality of opponent in certain situations and might be by the end. Um, I, I, I mean, I'm not going to rule it out. I, I will say this is a subjective selection committee. They are humans. This is the whole point that it's not computers deciding these things. I think that if you watched USC in the first two weeks, you think they are lucky that they won those games. Yeah. Um, and things like game control and, you know, style points. These are things that matter when it's a human subjective Selection committee. So um, I'll just say that about USC. I mean, I'm not going to say it's like totally, totally impossible, but I will say, you know, it, it, we know that teams like in Ohio State were going to have to be perfect because they were going to have fewer data points. Ohio State lost a game. Um, but I, I I just think that it, it's hard to make up that ground unless you get a lot of help, unless there are, you know, more rashes of cancellations with other teams involved in the playoff hunt. So you're playing, you know, a much more comparable amount of games because the way that I could viewing it in my mind was to get in the same ballpark as everybody else. So to me, Ohio State could get in the same ballpark as everybody else so that they could be evaluated somewhat evenly. 
I don't think that way about Pac-12. But again, like the committee will tell us Tuesday night if they disagree with that sentiment. If they are more bullish on teams that haven't played that many games, that means that's not a sticking point for them. So that would put someone in the hunt, like an Oregon in the hunt, in a way that I personally have been dismissing them. But you're right. I mean, we literally just went through this scenario where if Clemson loses and gets knocked out, um, Florida loses, gets a second loss, like you're... All of a sudden, there's all there's there's teams in consideration for the playoff that would not have been otherwise. And let's say Cincinnati is too far out or whatever it might be. Um, you are going to need to look for teams. But I, I don't know. I mean, until until the committee proves me otherwise, I'm still going to kind of just assume that it's just not enough. Um, and also, again, like, yes, the committee changes year to year. But we have seen the way that they have evaluated Pac-12 champions in years past and, and more years than not, they have not included them in the playoff. So there are yeah, there are some got- of those committee members that are on this year's committee. Yeah, they haven't gotten the benefit of the doubt, the Pac-12. Um, so the Buckeyes, when you said lost the game, just to clarify what, what Nicole is oh, talking I'm about. Sorry. Yes. They lost. No, 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 I understand. But they, what, what Nicole is talking about is they lost a game from their schedule. They, they lost the Maryland game. So the most games Ohio State will be able to play is eight. If they play, if they get to the conference championship game and win it, I'm interested in Ohio State though because somebody sort of framed this to me in a normal season. Again, when if they had a lot of data points, Ohio State and really most teams would be given a mulligan. Um, for example, I think if if Alabama what if Alabama were to lose this weekend to Auburn, but they still go about their business win the SEC championship, are very impressive in their way, on their way to winning the SEC championship, Alabama will almost certainly still make the playoffs. So it, it could stub its toe once, win its conference, and still make the playoff. That's what happens in a normal season, quite frankly, anyway. we, we It's funny, we, all, we will see these teams, we will often see teams lose games to teams that we think they're not supposed to during the regular season. Everybody gets on Twitter and says, that's going to eliminate them from the playoff. And it really doesn't. <laughs> oh, you're mean. But I'm wondering about Ohio State. Not people's just reactions on Twitter. I'm, yeah. Not just because of the number of games Ohio State is playing, but also because the Big Ten has cratered. Like the best team Ohio State is going to play, it just played in Indiana. You know, and all of a sudden, Penn State beating Penn State's not going to mean anything. Beating Michigan is not going to mean anything. Beating Michigan State, like these teams that would usually support Penn Ohio State's schedule. So I'm wondering, does Ohio State have a mulligan? Can they lose a regular season game, still win the conference championship against you know probably a pretty good Northwestern team and get in? My sense is probably yes, because again, we're, we're running out of, te- we have to have four teams, but, but I don't know. So you're saying between the teams of Illinois, Michigan State, and Michigan? <laughs> that's, like, I, I mean, that, but that, that's hard to, right? So, like, even, I mean, I want to agree with you because we're scraping the bottle of the barrel, but my goodness, I mean, th- this is the, this is the challenge, though, because, um, you know, when this division is down in a way that we haven't seen where Penn State and Michigan are down and Michigan State is fully rebuilding. And again, Indiana is the best, second best team in the division. It's going to be really hard because usually you have so many built in opportunities for like marquee games, marquee wins, and and you don't have them and you had a shortened schedule and I mean, again, no, I think Northwestern's a good team. That defense is legitimate. That could be a, a challenge. Northwestern plays tight games. Like, that could be a really quality opportunity in the championship game. But you just don't have any other feathers in your cap at that point, except Indiana, right? Like, I and I think the committee is going to evaluate that win over Indiana as a really, really good win. But, like, I, it's just so strange because I think that when we baked in this assumption that no matter when Ohio State started, and especially once we got the start date, they would get enough games in, I think we baked in that they would have more quality wins because it's the Big Ten East, and that didn't happen. So that is strange. That is a strange element. I <laughs> Just looking at the teams left on the regular season schedule, I don't know how you could take a team that lost to one of them. Like Ohio State, of all programs, has had those bad losses keep them out before 
Yeah, yeah, and, and again, I, I understand. I'm, I'm sort of, I'm, I'm, you know, walking into the land of unicorns and fairies when I start talking about Ohio State losing to Illinois, this Michigan team, and that Michigan State team. Like they're going to be, I think they're 28 point favorites against uh, Illinois. They're going to be 20 odd point favorites against all these teams. But again, I'm asking you to suspend disbelief here, listeners, for just a moment and picture a world in which Ohio State stumbles. I don't know. Maybe Justin Fields gets hurt on the first play, right? He, it's not that it wipes him out for the season, but it wipes him out for the game and things get squirrely and all Listen, of a sudden Ohio State loses Ralph, one of those games. Are you just trying to come up with a scenario where Oregon makes a playoff here? Because all of these scenarios, <laughs> like I, all this is all the type of help the Pac-12 would actually need. They would need chaos. Well, and also, but it also brings me, let's go back to Cincinnati for just a second, because one of the things that I think that the reason why I believe like Cincinnati could be hopeful here, if especially if it lands in, let's say, the eight spot, let's say, let's say Cincinnati ends up eight Tuesday night. I don't think you have to really stretch your imagination to all of a sudden say like, oh, wait a second, Clemson gets swept, get rid of Clemson. Florida loses to Alabama, get rid of Florida. Let's say Texas A&M. First of all, I, I wouldn't put Texas A&M ahead of Cincinnati anyway if Cincinnati were to win out. But let's just say Texas A&M takes an L against LSU. I don't think that's crazy. As bad as LSU has played this year, you know, that's still a team with a lot of talent. I, I think it, it, it's conceivable. So in other words, I could easily pick off like three or four teams ahead of Cincinnati and all of a sudden the committee, we're like daring the committee. Like I dare you to not put them in at 10 and 0, right? With a, with a conference championship or 11 and 0. I think they might even be able to get to 11 games. So that's why I think where UC starts off is so important because if they're close, the committee is sort of saying like, okay, they're viable we just got to get some of the teams in front of them. And, and and again, getting some of those teams in front of them knocked off is not a crazy stretch of the imagination. I agree. And I would love to see it. And I think that this is what happens after we had multiple years of having the conversations about UCF. This is another team in that conference. There is a lot of national respect for that league as a whole. The offenses, the defenses, when they're good, they're among the country's best. The coaches in that league, among the country's best. Rising stars, we always talk about them for big jobs or they go to big jobs. So the, the respect has been building. The defense is legit in a year that a lot of traditional defensive powerhouses are not as legit. And I, it's it's weird to say this, and, and I mentioned this earlier, but... In a year where so many of the power leagues decided to not play non-conference games or only play one, it had to be in state, whatever, with restrictions, it almost helped the group of five leagues not to play those games, Where, which is counterintuitive because usually we think that they need to play multiple games like that and win them to have a resume strong enough to make the playoff. This year, they're getting the benefit of the doubt because of the amount of games they've played and they don't have like an opportunity that could have been a loss. Like it's 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 almost interesting, and again, I, I we'll see if the committee views it that way. But I feel like that's been a huge selling point with the 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 national you know respect, attention, the way that teams like a Coastal Carolina and all of these teams are in the polls. It's it's helped them that those leagues did not. I mean, and again, the Sun Belt, you know, beat the Big Twelve, beat up on the Big Twelve, which right. obviously helped, and that became a narrative. But but everyone 12. else, yeah, yeah, that hurt the Big Twelve. But everyone else, like it, you know, you didn't have those opportunities um, where teams, you know, maybe got blown out or or lost a tough game, and and now you have more undefeated teams. Um, you have teams that are doing things like Coastal's doing for the first time ever, right? And so it's just it's interesting. And then you had Liberty almost go three and zero against the ACC, so. In those rare situations when it happened, when there was that crossover, the group of five teams did well. And just the narrative feels very different than it normally would when maybe those types of teams would have had a loss or two before entering conference play. Yeah, you know, so on Sunday night the the or Sunday afternoon, the college football playoff put out its own little Q&As. And to sum it up, basically the college football playoff was just trying to tell everybody in advance, we're not changing anything <laughs> like this is it's basically situation normal or we're going to try to treat this as normal as possible. 
right? We're going to have the same amount of teams. We're going to judge them the same. We're even going to meet in person for some reason. Yeah, that was um, that was not in the Q and A, but that was a question that everybody has. Why? Yeah, yeah and honestly, other than that, everything I, like that to me, that's the craziest thing. I yes. understand trying to keep everything as normal as possible because, frankly, there's no good solution to make this abnormal season normal. No matter tweaking protocols or expanding the playoff wasn't realistic, pushing it back, all those things. I, I, I do, we all knew those weren't going to happen. The only really crazy thing is the fact that they're actually going to meet in person. Yes. I think that that that's silly. <laughs> but I, I say all that because again, the, the playoff is trying to treat things as normal as possible, but you're removing a whole bunch of quote unquote data points and the double edged sword to the to the especially to the group of five teams is hey, we can't judge you against these other conferences, but maybe that helps. Maybe because now you're, you're again, you don't have the losses, right? The possible mm. losses. Um, because it's more subjective than ever, maybe it has to go to the eye test and maybe the committee is a little more forgiving of, of you know, as far as, you know, strength of schedule because there aren't these. I don't think, I think it's going to be a problem for BYU. I think BYU basically yes. playing a Conference USA schedule is the reason why they're not really going to be in the in the playoff quote unquote four, you know final four discussion, but for Cincinnati again that league has as you said built up a ton of credibility. Now, Memphis is not quite as good as it has been. UCF has lost three times. Houston is not quite as good as it has been. Um, so a little of the shine is taken off. But I would also suggest that that happens in all the leagues right this year. As they're, you know, you're only looking at conference play. And just because Memphis took a bunch of AAC losses doesn't mean the AAC is not good, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and also, again, it's not even just the top teams, like the middle tier teams, you know, could have picked up losses in non conference play. I, I think it's, I think it's going to be a huge boost to Cincinnati. And, and, and again, this is a league. And these are opponents and and teams and units that the committee has shown a certain level of respect for. And, and you know, we've 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 had these conversations about UCF and, and this is the same league. And so I, I just think that there's going to be things that are pulling in Cincinnati's direction regarding the uniqueness of this year. So I'm hoping that's right. And, and that's why that is the number one thing that I'm curious about with the first rankings. Okay, so it's rivalry weekend. We're not going to get into like every game here because we've already talked for a while. You know, Auburn, Alabama, it's the Iron Bowl, but it's but it's not really rival rivalry weekend. It's always tricky mm-hmm. um, because it's there's no Ohio State, Michigan, mm-hmm. and there's no Territorial Cup, right? Like it's just it's just another thing that like every once in a while, like uh, there I, I fluctuate Nicole between being very happy that we're getting a football season in to at times being sad because football season is not, it's missing so many things that I normally enjoy. And as much as we have a really great slate of games this weekend, hopefully most of them get played. Clearly not all of them will. Um, And there's a lot of interesting things like there's something missing on a Thanksgiving weekend because traditionally that's when this has become the weekend. Now I know for years it wasn't, but over the last, you know, 10 or 15 years, that's when we get all the rivalries. That's when we get Michigan and Ohio State and so many of the cool rivalries, um, you know, in-state rivalries that we've come to grow and to come to love. And so I'm very happy that we have what we have, but I'm also finding myself being a little bit sad that it's not what we usually get. Well, and I think too, it's also, um, it's, thrown me off about like what time of year we're in right like when you're like oh well you know utah just had their season opener but wait it's late november okay what does that mean you know we also don't have the apple cup this week so like you're saying it's rivalry week that doesn't even register to me like it just doesn't feel that way and like also we just have so many more regular season games to get in before the finish line. And then plus we're going to have that crazy week in at least two of the leagues that are doing the challenges between like, you know, the first place teams playing the championship game, then the second place teams in each division. Plus you're going to have SEC makeup games, ACC makeup games. Like there's going to be a lot of regular season games happening championship weekend too. So it just feels like we're still so far to go in the season. Whereas usually like rivalry week is the end. And so like all of that's weird and also 
keep it's it's causing me to have a lot of trouble keeping track of the calendar and also what number week we're in because we're in like different numbers of weeks depending on which league you're in and then also college football as a whole it's been very confusing for those of us who haven't really thought about math in a while yeah the, your bio I, I imagine this happens for fans too but pro- maybe even more so when you work in it and your your career is tied to it and your literally your calendar your day-to-day calendar is tied to it but biorhythms have been totally thrown yes. off by this sports schedule right like yes. i am i am all over the joint the idea that i might have to actually buy a christmas gift soon is just bananas i can't i cannot wrap my head around that so i'm sure my my wife and child will be very disappointed in me this Christmas. They tend to be anyway, um, <laughs> but I think this will be even more so. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. So it's Thanksgiving. Is there a our back family traditional part of the meal, uh, separate from what we all normally do, turkey stuffing, blah, 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 that you are looking forward to? Or maybe, you know, I don't need, I don't want to assume anything. Maybe your Thanksgiving has been thrown off a little bit by the pandemic. But is there something that you usually look forward to on the Auerbach family Thanksgiving meal that is a little different from what, you know, everybody else's meal is? Well, um, so it is interesting, um, and we've talked about this off air, but I was not going to go home for Thanksgiving because the CDC is telling us not to. And um, and then we had a death in the family. And so I'm actually in New Jersey. Red did make the trip because he's incredibly important um, for for grieving and mourning. Um, he cheers everybody Absolutely. up. Red is Red is Nicole's uh, small dog. Uh, yes, it, he's now he's Red now five and a half. Five and a half years old now. Bijan still Red always looks like a puppy. Red will <laughs> always look. Red actually doesn't just look like a puppy. Red looks like a stuffed, a stuffed animal. Yes. He's very he, adorable. <laughs> he does. So he made the trip because that was the most important part. Um, so we actually are going to do Thanksgiving. But what's interesting is I actually made my first turkey this year for a very, very small um, Friendsgiving with two people in my pod over the weekend. <laughs> And I was, which by the way, um, highly recommend making a turkey for three people because then you get all the leftovers. But mm. I am so proud of myself right now for being able to do it. And I might have to do it again because my mom has just been kind of all over the place this week. Um, so I'm kind of now like confident, borderline cocky about making a turkey. So wow. I know that that is the centerpiece for everybody. But I have to say, I made it the way that my mom does with the same like rubs and spices and brining that she does. And it's phenomenal. Um, and then other than that, my favorite side dish is um, my grandma's recipe for a corn souffle. Um, also very easy. And but everyone loves it. So that's always the biggest hit. We always have to make two when we in a normal year when we have a lot of people. This year it'll just be my immediate family. So honestly, we'll probably still make two of the corn souffles. That's interesting. So corn souffle. So let me see. Because one of the cool things that you know, I don't know if it's getting made this year because it's usually my sister's thing, and we're not doing a really expanded Thanksgiving. It's going to be a little smaller. Um, is a cornbread stuffing which Ooh. might have a little bit like a corn souffle thing going on. But again, yeah. it's a little more like cornbread-ish with – actually, it's good. not even cornbread stuffing. It's cornbread it, – it's called cornbread bread pudding. So it's got a bread pudding Ooh. feel to it, which could be a little souffle-ish. It's, it's my, you know, my daughter thinks it's like, it's, it thinks it tastes a little too much like dessert. So she tends not to eat it with the meal. Um, but I love it. I think it goes great with gravy. You know, so that's the one thing again, it's not crazy outside the you box. You need to make it. There is no pressure here for you to attempt that. If it's a smaller oh, gathering, if if it, pressure and cooking, I no, no, and no. This year, there's no pressure because it's not the big deal. You're not going to be like embarrassing yourself in front of however many people you normally do Thanksgiving. You should get the recipe and try it. Mm, the act of cooking is always pressure filled for me. I always feel very stressed when I cook. I find general. it very therapeutic. Mm, it's good to be that way. I, 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 you know, the act of eating is is therapeutic. Uh, the act of cooking, I always find rather stressful. All right, I still but think I'm you very should much try. Looking forward to eating. Yeah. I think you should uh, try it. No pressure. You know, I did, have a, I did have a discussion with Sally yesterday as we were taking a, a little walk about the idea. Like, I real, I, I should. Like, again, we have a small gathering, and I said I will look over what we have 
and decide if there's something that in particular that I would like and maybe I will cook it. Now, there's a very good chance that I will end up not doing that, but I did at least bring that to the conversation. I, I, I sort of threw the idea out there that I will make something that not just I would like, that other people would like too, but nonetheless, the, the thing that the idea has been brought to bear. I don't okay, know if wait, I will go through here. with it. This is what's going to happen. As soon as we finish this podcast, I'm going to send you the corn souffle recipe. You cannot mess mm. it up. It's like five ingredients and you just put it in the I oven. I like it, corn. I'm a big fan of corn. It's very easy. I'm going to send it to you. You're going to impress people and it's and it, I promise you can't mess it up. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> um all right. I, I may I may go about doing that. Listen, uh, first of all, condolences uh, to your family, Thank to you. you and your family. You. Try to have a good Thanksgiving. Uh, please give Red a pet for me um, because I'm a big fan of Red. And uh, enjoy the football. Appreciate you breaking everything down playoff-wise and, uh, and uh, everything else that's going on this weekend. It should be a good weekend for football. I, again, I hope you get a chance to, with all that's going on this weekend, to enjoy some of the football as well. Yes, absolutely. And and thank you. Um, again, a, a silver lining is, um, you know, our, our family actually gets to be together. So that's a, it's a pretty big one this year. Happy Thanksgiving, Nicole. Happy Thanksgiving, Ralph. And now three and out. First down. JT Daniels debuted for Georgia this past weekend, and it was quite a thing. The USC transfer passed for 401 yards and the Bulldogs beat Mississippi State. That led to a lot of questions about what took so long for Kirby Smart to put Daniels in the lineup since the quarterback coming off a knee injury has been medically cleared to play since the second week of the SEC season. So I'm going to give Smart the benefit of the doubt in this situation. Just because a player is cleared to play doesn't mean he is necessarily ready to be the player he needs to be to play effectively and to protect himself on the field. You cannot convince me that Smart and the Georgia staff saw a fully functional Daniels who they felt was ready to play in games and simply left him on the bench because the assessment was Stetson Bennett is a better player. I just don't buy that. And Georgia beat writer Mike Griffith spoke to Daniels' father who said that he was happy, Smart, brought his son along slowly. I'm sure thinking about what could have been if Daniels had been ready for the season is frustrating for Georgia fans. But to me, it, it doesn't sound like Smart made a poor evaluation. It sounds like he was playing it safe with a player coming back from a serious knee injury. Second down. I think there's going to be a lot of speculation down the stretch about Tennessee and Virginia Tech making coaching changes. Tennessee plays Vanderbilt this week and then has Florida and A&M. Three and seven is a very real possibility for Jeremy Pruitt in year three. And oh boy, I would not want to be him if the Vols lose to Vandy. Still, Tennessee just gave Pruitt a contract extension. And he is Phil Fulmer's guy. Fulmer, by the way, also received a contract extension earlier this year. For Tennessee to blow out this coaching staff after only three years and then let Fulmer do another search sounds beyond dysfunctional and downright irresponsible. But dysfunctional and irresponsible is not a bad way to sum up Tennessee football for much of the last couple of decades. As for Virginia Tech, it would be pretty easy to write this season off as a COVID wreck and cut Justin Fuente some slack. The Hokies got off to a 4-2 start, but let games against Liberty and Miami slip away and then got blasted by Pitt in a loss that had the scent of a team that may have checked out. It's not going to get better on December 5th when the Hokies play Clemson, which leaves the Virginia game as a chance to salvage their season. The bigger picture is there just hasn't been much progress in the program under Fuente. His best seasons came in his first couple of seasons as Frank Beamer's successor. The buyout situation for Fuente, I believe, is about $8 million, which amazingly would be considered reasonable in ordinary times. Not quite so much in pandemic financial crunch times. I don't think the Hokies will fire Fuente, but I do wonder if another opportunity comes open for him, if both he and the school jump at the chance to move on from one another. Third down. This is a very unscientific assessment on my part, but I'm finding it difficult to judge the quality of teams in the Pac-12. Sort of relates back to our conversation with Nicole. 
I'm just not sure what I'm seeing. The combination of the season starting so late, plus various restrictions being placed on the teams that influence preparation has me wondering if any of what I'm seeing from these teams is truly meaningful. Now, again, that's a combination of eye test and probably a little baked in bias based on what I know going into this season. Maybe I was predisposed to thinking that this Pac-12 season was going to be particularly messy and can't get past that. But over the first few weeks, it has looked to me that in the Pac-12, the quality of football is a greater distance from normal than in the other Power Five conferences. That's the show for today. I'd like to thank my producer, Sarah McCrory, for making me sound good. And happy Thanksgiving, Sarah. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts and Westwood One Podcasts. Please subscribe so you do not miss an episode. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanks for listening. And come back for more next week of the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast.